This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. I think it's a Halloween y one, I guess. Scary, spooky, whatever you want to call it, because it, it really happened. Um, you know, there's no disputing that what we're going to talk about happened. I guess it deals with witches somewhat. There isn't Hocus Pocus somewhat based on this, right? It takes place in Salem, yep. Massachusetts. It actually was filmed. Like it was filmed in Salem. It was actually filmed. Well, you go there. I, we're talking about the, the Salem witch trial, say, something yes, that yes, yes. everyone talks about because there's also people read the, the books and stuff about it, particularly in high school, I know. Um, but yeah, the Salem Witch Trial Museum is actually still open. It's I have the website on right now. I'm looking at it, and it says, you know, they're sold out for the 30th and the 31st. Don't even come near it, they're basically saying. The many wow. streets are closure because it's such like a big, even to this day, hundreds of years later, it's still kind of a part of Americana. It's sad of what happened to the people that actually yeah. were victims of this paranoia that took place. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were victims of what, like a paranoia about the supernatural, of a justice system that valued repentance over truth. And it was really because of the settlers at Salem that were already there, the Puritans, that this took place in uh, what... Uh, between February 1692 and May 1693. Definitely, you know, these are witch hunts and often referred to as witch hunts going forward through American history and compared to very often draw parallels to when you think of the Red Scare, the first Red Scare yeah. 1920s, the second oh. 1950s, yeah. even today's like PC cultures um, or seen rather articles that kind of compare to the witch hunts. Technically, again, we're talking Halloween, but there is no real spirit here unless you choose no. to believe that. But yeah. even the girls that are involved did later. I mean, some disappeared. We don't know what happened to them. However, the history, yeah. disappeared the history. Yes, exactly. Um, however, one of the main girls that was the accuser did eventually admit that she was just not truthful. She was lying. She signed a piece of paper, like an affidavit, like 20 years later that like I made all that up. However, like you said, it's scary in a sense because of how real this was and how many people were affected by this, how many people's lives were ruined by this. And people died specifically, from it too. People died from it. Yeah. And the area where they died is still it's still an actual place exactly where they would hang all these people. So that's probably the most haunted, more haunted than Salem itself, is it's right on the outskirts of it where you have this one particular spot where most of the hangings took place. Let's talk about the background, the context, the scene, really, of what is Salem? What are we talking about? What's 1690 Salem like? And why would there be this, you know, entrenched American history eventually event here that happened? Previously, like in 1626 was when the Puritans actually settled in Salem. And they're basically a group of English uh, Protestants with very strict, strict religious views, right? Ultra strict. So ultra strict. And they believe that the devil was very real. And that the devil could influence mortal lives, particularly lives of children, through children witches. and women. Yeah, yep. children and women. It could, could very happen. You have to understand that life, because of this, life was very strict and isolated for the people of Salem. Going on at this time, too, from the 26th all the way up until the 1690s, they were in a lot of battles with Native Americans. So there was like, it was like not easy. Life was hard, right? Yes. People. There was starvation, there was disease, and then what really starts to cause this problem in 1692, it was one of the coldest winters on record. So people are even more isolated than what they were before. So think like COVID, but like winter COVID, you know, so you're kind of like stuck inside and this is, you know, they didn't have any interaction with other people and they were all kind of wary of other people too, because there was a lot of influx of um, people, refugees coming in, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yep. So, so they'll have all these people that people moving into Salem that weren't part of this Puritan community originally. So they just didn't they didn't trust these outsiders. But now you're going to see that a lot with these uh, people that are being accused, at least especially the ones at first. They're all considered outsiders from the rest of the group in some way. And that's why they're being accused of being witches. Then you had these two young girls, right? A nine-year-old by the name of Betty Paris and an 11-year-old by the name of Abigail Williams. They were cousins. And they just started acting kind of strange, right? Yeah. They were like shaking, convulsing and stuff like that. And what happens is you have a physician comes in. He found nothing physically wrong with them, but what he diagnoses them, he says the girls are under an evil hand. And it's actually his formal diagnosis. And that's just going to push people going crazy because they already exactly. believe that, that, you know, the devil wreaked havoc in the world through human agents. Now that he's saying now they're being, you know, portrayed by an evil hand, Who's this evil hand? What's going on? Oh my God, there's witches here. There's devils here, you know, affecting our children. So it was fear, paranoia, and then off to the races. Yep. And the context of this, what you know, what you just mentioned is very real, specifically in Europe. European witch hunts actually peaked by like 1630. Most of them happened in Western Germany, uh, France, Northern Italy, Switzerland. And the number of trials and executions believed to have been about 110,000 people in total were actually tried for witchcraft. And about 60,000 of those were executed throughout Europe just 50 years before the events that are happening in New England. And a lot of these people from Europe, specifically from these lower countries, are making their way to the New World. And they're making their way to New England. And And they have these beliefs. Exactly. And they're bringing with them these beliefs where they grew up in it on the European continent that believes in this where 60,000 people were executed for witchcraft. And witchcraft was really a, a way to explain things that could not be explained by rational thought. I mean, we're talking 1600s. So, you know, enlightenment is not really a, a, quite a thing yet. Um, this idea of using logic and reason. So a lot of these simple folks that live in the country, uh, because a lot of them were simple folk that essentially live in the country, you know, there's not much of an education for girls. Education pretty much ended at approximately fourth grade. There was a saying that as long as a girl could count eggs, she's good to go. She does not need to go for further schooling because then she could take care of her husband and cook. And even boys primarily would get education at most until about eighth grade. So what you're looking at is a, a kind of an uneducated back country yeah. that is extremely religious and is, is petrified of this idea of the devil. And the belief is that while the while God looks at men and women equally and judges them equally, the devil only goes after women because supposedly they are weaker and they will allow themselves to be taken over by the devil. But a lot of this also stems from social issues in a sense that you didn't want strong-willed women. You know, you wanted women to be married off quickly. If a woman wasn't married, if she was 25, that's an old maiden, something's not right with her. So if you couldn't explain something in rational thought, oftentimes they turn to two things. They turn to religion or they turn to some form of witchcraft. You know, this idea that goblins did it, you know, like today, if you have a girl that's you know, a five-year-old that dies, you're like, oh my God, a five-year-old died. And you think to yourself, like in today's terms, you could diagnose that. I'd be like, that's leukemia. And that's really sad. Back then they're like, why would a five-year-old girl die? It must be the devil. It must well, be something yeah. along well, the line. Well, especially when he had this doctor, his name was William Griggs, when he said that they were, he basically diagnosed them with bewitchment. So that's all they needed too. Like now you're, they already had this paranoia. They had this fear. They had these beliefs. Now you have a doctor, right? This man of medicine that's saying, oh yeah, they're being bewitched. They're, they, they're being controlled by an evil hand. That's just going to send the fury up. And then it wasn't just those girls. What happens is um, 12 other girls start saying the same thing. And they're saying that like they're having fits. They're complaining of prickling skin and stuff like that. And that's when they say they, they accuse 
three women of being switches basically yeah you want to get into how these women got here like so so the the women ultimately because i mean you can get into the specific women but just to kind of backtrack a little bit so there's two areas here there's salem town which is very like commerce oriented port right of massachusetts bay and eventually that would evolve into the modern salem which is a little off to it now the community here in salem village is about 500 people and because of the fact that there are 500 people everyone kind of knows one another yeah and, there's and, they, know, and they know their history they know gossips all over the place exactly and there's a very big social divide here uh specifically between two leading families you have the really wealthy porters very strong connections with salem town's wealthy merchants the porters are very rich even though they live in a salem village of 100 people they have connections with the wealthier portion of salem and then you have the putnams and the putnams are kind of like the middle class standard less prosperous farm family and the putnams very much are like the protectors of the commonplace um, people, you might say. So the commoners tend to gravitate towards the Putnams and the wealthy merchant class that is straying away from the church because now they're concentrating more and making money and merchant stuff and trade as opposed to going to church. Merchant class is kind of going towards the porters. And what ends up happening is the Putnams in uh, 1689 wind up bringing in a pastor. Well, they bring a pastor in, right? Samuel Paris. Uh, They kind of influence this new pastor to come in to reinvigorate the community of Salem because so many people are straying from the church because they're they're kind of concentrated too much on money and trade. So this new Samuel Paris that comes in to, to become the new preacher is brought in by the Putnams and like the common folks. And with him, he brings a slave of his, right, from Barbados. Tituba. And that's kind of how this starts, because this Tituba, right, is the first one that's really accused by these girls. And these girls are related, we should say, they are related to the Putnams. So they're related to like the middle class, common class family. Uh, If one of them is actually Ann Putnam, right? if you actually go through some of these records is a lot of these families the putnams the lewises the hubbards they all had they were all a lot of them were suing each other and they were also suing and then some of the people that were accused later on were suing them in court accusing yep. them of stealing things so then they said oh you're accusing me of something i had their daughter say, right, saying that you're a witch Tituba was one of the first ones but it's two other women also the um homeless beggar sarah good and also she was very poor and elderly sarah osborne who just wasn't like you said before she was kind of thrown in there because she just didn't she was absent from the church. She just didn't go to church. She just yeah. didn't see a reason to go to church. She was older. She had other things to do. I uh, bet she had children. She had a younger daughter of her own to take care of. So she just didn't go to church. And that was just seen as like, well, why are you not going to church? There's got to be a reason why this woman is not going to church. She must be a witch. So you have the poor beggar, you have this slave, and you have someone who's not going to church. So they're outcasts in some way. So they're being yeah. accused of being witches. And they all maintain their innocence when this first happens. Uh, but the girls yeah. come up and say, no, we saw them in our dreams. That's what it was. These things, yeah. As specters. Which the courts allowed you to use, even though, well, actually, yes and no, right? They, they do. If I, they know they allow it to use until they eventually they're like, you and can't. And they say you can't, but then they still do it anyway in Salem. So these young girls, some of them belonging to not only the Putnams, the poorer families, but also one of the daughters that is the one that's convulsing and, and saying that she's being possessed is this new preacher, Samuel Paris' daughter as well. So you're looking at, 
there's people that are trying to bring back religion to this community. It's their daughters that are yes. doing this. And they're as young as like nine and 12 years old. And what they do is they say that they have these fits and these like contortions. So first it's Paris' daughter, Betty. She's nine. Paris being the new priest that was brought in by the Putnams. Then his niece, Abigail Williams. And then eventually Ann Putnam um, Jr., about 12 as well. And what they do is they say that at night they see the specter, and this becomes a key word here, of these three women, the specters, the ghosts come to them, but they come to them with a book. And supposedly what happens is the, the specter of the ghost, they want these three girls to sign their name in a devil's book so they will give their soul away to the devil and you know go to hell. And these girls are refusing, which is what makes them, these ghosts, do these terrible things to them. And, and they're twisting and they're making odd sounds and they're like contorting their bodies a certain way and like have these pinching sensations. They're biting their lips and making themselves bleed. Later on, a lot of people looking back at this, like modern science and scholars have been trying to figure this out. They're like, well, it could be asthma. It could be Lyme disease, epilepsy. Uh, and then, you, you know, you and I mentioned this before we press record. Uh, one thing that came up, according to modern science, that might have made them be like this was what? Well, it was well, argot, was it called? It yeah. Was a thing, a yeah type mushrooms. Of mushrooms, a type of fungus that they think was happening because there was so much... Um, how the temperature was and everything else that was going on at that time. And the reason they weren't eating the mushrooms, but they were using the, they were mixing them in with, with their bread. bread so they're yep. eating it. And it might not have affected adults quite as much, but it's definitely going to affect children. Yeah, they said it gives you like LSD. Yeah, it's um, going to make you see things. It's going to make you hallucinate yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah, that's very well what could have happened. And they <laughs> think there is some, they, they, they found trace amounts of this in like a lot of the, uh, just in that area. So just area people. bones and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. People bones, were yeah like, so it's in their bloodstream. They knew people were eating it. And they're saying this could definitely have happened. And you just, and this is another factor. It wasn't the only factor, but you throw it in with the isolation, with the, already the religious fervor, with these people being seen as being outcasts, not part of society, and everything else. It's just time. And the, the men who come in that decide to start leading this, um, it just gets out of control really, really fast. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts. Yeah. What Makes basically happens is they're all told, we know you're a witch, so we're going to hang you. Mm-hmm. And the only way for you not to be killed is to confess to be a witch and then tell us who else are witches. So exactly. Tituba so basically says, and they believe, you know, she was doing this to save herself, which I don't know how much you could really fault her for this. Yeah, she totally says, was. Yeah. Like, yes, I, she's like, yes, I was practicing witchcraft. The devil came to me. So I was doing devil orders. And they're like, well, what about Gooden Osborne? They're like, yes, them too. She actually yeah, said, she, said that, I, she said, I saw their name in the book. I when saw the devil their, gave I, me I, the book. Yeah, I saw their name in the book. All right. But and they actually forced her. She even said, you know, they were the first ones to do it. So Good and Osborne are like, what are you talking about? Okay. So and they still both maintain the innocence. They're like, we are not witches. Osborne actually, she winds up dying in prison. She's just kind of neglected. She was Good's own husband turned against her in court. Yeah. He actually that. says he's he well, he testifies and says she even was a witch or would be one very quickly. So and this is just after like weeks and months of just like prodding and going after him and basically saying, listen, if you don't say your wife is a witch, that means we're going to kill you too because you're harboring a witch. 
Yeah, and uh, there's males that we'll get into that as well. But this wasn't yeah. just women. Women were obviously the main targets here. But uh, if you stood in a way and tried to defend a woman and you were you were a man or a husband, like you were just as guilty. Goods did give birth while she was in prison. The baby dies during like prison in the cold. So the baby gets sick and dies. Um, so she's just super depressed at this point. You know, her own daughter is calling her a witch, but not really. Again, they're kind of spitting the daughter's words and stuff like that when the daughter's saying these things. And then she's hanged shortly thereafter. So she was actually one of the first ones to be um, hanged. Uh, Tituba was held until May, but then they eventually released her. They released a lot of these people around when they kind of like, people realize stuff is getting out of hand for outside of Salem. They kind yeah. of come in and stop it, which we'll, well get to. Yeah, we'll and to. what ends up happening is the precursor to being released, the re main reason, a way to get released is to name others. And that's what starts to spiral. So there's two things that really kind of fuel the fire. So the fire started, think of it this way, right? The one way you could free yourself from the devil's work and the devil's grip is by exposing others. If yeah. you expose other agents of the devil, then the devil will abandon you. That's that's ridiculous, but well, that's one way to look at well, it. Well, because that's the understand they weren't these charges. The fact we call them a trial, right? They're not really trials. These are these are like hunts, be witch hunts, because mm -hmm. they weren't interested in investigating any of these charges. There was just these kids saying, "Yeah, they're witches." And they want to investigate the charges, they, keeping with the church's teachings. They they preferred that the accused just confessed, right? Asked yeah. for forgiveness, promised not to engage in more witchcraft, and then accused others. And that's basically what happened here. So the people who were killed were the ones who refused to. They're like, I'm not buying into this. I'm not going to say I'm a witch. Other thing here winds up happening because after this first three. That's when this hysteria kind of grows, but also you start seeing more women come forth that they're also being taken over by these witches, by various witches. And the other girls that come up and other women, among them is Ann Putnam's mom. So it's not just Ann Putnam Jr., the 12-year-old. Now her mother, Mrs. Putnam, is also an accuser. Her cousin, Mary Welcott, then the Putnam's servant, Mercy Lewis, and they significantly begin identifying other witches, outsiders, outcasts, as you mentioned before, uh, but also upsetting members of the community. Community, right so rebecca nurse comes up here because mm -hmm. she's like the she's main one. one she's a big one because she's a woman of like prominence right uh and that what ends up happening is these are all enemies of the putnams the putnam family enemies are being yeah. attacked and the jurors the jurors are all friends of the accusers that's something that's yep. going on here too this is in the 1600s this is before like the legal system as we know it so like with you know tainted jury pools and stuff like like you know it's it's not like now well, yeah, I mean, they brought so the actual trials that are being against these women that are being brought forth, and we'll get into Rebecca Nurse and all that stuff, and some of the good because now they're no longer outcasts. Now they're going after everybody. The actual trials presided over by William Stockton. Um, Stockton, yeah, he's the colony's lieutenant governor. The court is consists of seven judges, like you said, they're all friends on the Putnam family and of the priest Parish. They're accused rather were forced to defend themselves without any aid of counsel. Just defend yourself. The worst part is that the most damning part of their admission was the spectral evidence. Claims by the victim that they had seen or been attacked, bitten, pinched, whatever, right? By the ghosts or specters of the accused and whose form Satan allegedly assumed to work his evil. Literally, someone just had to say, I saw your specter and ghost by my bed and I felt a tingle on my pinky toe. Boom, you're done. Which is kind of crazy, yeah, just, by kind of yeah, it, really crazy. Well, it would never hold up, obviously, in any courts today, the special offense. But from what I was reading, too, like it really wasn't supposed to hold up in a lot of these courts. But they were doing it anyway in Salem. They're saying you can't use spectral, spectral evidence because 
you know, you can't prove it. But again, they, they weren't trying to prove these things. It was just trying to get these people to repent. And the ones that are killed are the ones who refuse to do this, refuse to repent. These are like, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not taking blame for these things. But like people are dying by the spring of, of 1693. Excuse me, over 100 people have been imprisoned and 14 men and 14 women and six men were executed from this already yeah. at this at this point and it's that it's still going it was still going on after that and um you have the famous one where um who they would keep on putting the stones on what was his name well that was the husband yeah i mean that was the one guy because he didn't put a plea in at all basically yeah. what they were doing is they're like all right put in a plea whether you're a witch or not he's like i'm not even doing it. so he never even said yes or no they just kept on uh putting stones, more stones on until he was crushed to death yeah but this is the interesting part because they actually accused his wife martha Corey, right and and Giles Corey is is like 80. And the key here is that his land was very, very much desired by one of the one of the judges. So if he didn't say anything, that was the key. If he didn't have any plea, say I'm guilty or not guilty, then therefore his trial would not be valid. So therefore his land could not be repossessed. And he knew that because he yeah. knew that the court just wanted his land. He just yeah. refused to talk. So they're like, fine. So they subjected him to being pressed by heavy stones for two days. They would add more and more stones. And finally, after like right before his death, they walked up to him and like bent over one of the guys and was like, do you have anything to say? And he just said more stones. More and stones then like he eventually more, dies. Yeah. He dies. Like, yeah, this is again just showing a lot of them knew they weren't witches. <clears throat> they had some sort of personal vendetta or they were going to gain something by calling this person a witch or hopefully gain something. All right, well, you're a witch. All right, well, just say you're a witch and we'll take away this land or you give us this money or you forget about this crime that was done against you and then just go and repent. And it was actually starting to spread beyond Salem to neighboring communities. And then we started getting more powerful figures, like you said, in targets. And the governor of Massachusetts colony actually suspended a trial when his own wife was accused of yep. being a witch. That's he's like, no, we're done with this. He's like, my wife yep. is not a witch. We're suspending these trials. There's no more spectral evidence or anything like that. And um, yeah, he's the that, one to take the spectral evidence out. Uh, he says, yeah. well, he actually reconvenes a new trial in which he says you cannot use spectral evidence anymore. You cannot just use yeah. ghosts as evidence. And from that point forward, the trials that follow after it's, that point, they just die because you can't they use just them. die out. If yeah, you can't exactly. say, if you can't use those things. So a lot of the sentences were amended. The prisons were released. Arrests were stopped. Now it's just right. What was going on? Like what, why were these girls acting like that? Which we've kind of, uh, talked Touched about upon a little bit yeah yeah but it was just it was it's really just like a cautionary tale of like how the power of fear can manipulate people's perception of things like I'm not sure you get the term like a witch hunt from you know rebecca Bridget. nurse was supposedly like this big big like known yeah. person church going person that basically just people didn't like her but she was very church going they couldn't find anything on her and when they brought her in and accused her of being a witch the girls were in um the actual courtroom and every time like she moved her hand, the girls would move her hands the same exact way. And she was like, why are you mocking me? And they're like, why are you mocking me? And, and everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's definitely it. Like, this is yeah. definitely the one. Her, her um, witch powers, yeah. Exactly. So, and she's like, this is ridiculous. She winds up being hung. There was the one guy that they brought up and he, I remember reading this while they were about to hang him. So he recites a, a prayer and supposedly he does it in such a perfect way that there he's about to be hung and people around is like, whoa, if he really is taken over by Satan and the devil, he would never be able to say this. And like that becomes, you know, everyone's like stops like, oh no, like what do we do? And then you have Mather, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he was a, a priest from Boston. He was even standing there when the guy was reciting the prayer and he's like, that's okay. 
the devil could cheat us that way, hang him. Then by January of 1697, the general courts kind of realized what was going on. They actually declare a day of fasting for the tragedy of the sin with trials. Later on, the courts deemed the trials unlawful, and the leading justice, a guy by the name of Samuel Seawall, actually publicly apologized for his role in the process in damaging the community. And they passed, this has happened later on, actually, and, and um, they try to restore everyone's name and actually give some um, financial restitution to all the heirs. But this doesn't happen until 1711. Yeah. So, and even I think some of the last people are pardoned as late as like 2012, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some people that, like the last people, her name, their names were just kind of left off on accident. But it becomes a, like a big part of um, legacy of like, the, I guess, the colonies and early Americas, right? You have Arthur Miller dramatizes the events. In the play, The Crucible, that's what you always read like a lot of times in high school, I think I remember, right? You had the my, int- I'm pretty sure my son is literally reading that right that's now. That's what they do, yeah. So, I mean, that's part of it. And it, there's a memorial to the victims was dedicated in um, 1992. So, it's just like a sad point in history that shows how mass hysteria and how like untrusting people can be. And there, a lot of people just go along with it because they are afraid of it might happening to them. You know, but the Salem Witch Museum is still there today. And it always gets really packed around this time of year, around Halloween, just because it kind of ties in with that, I guess, lore. When you look at the actual main accusers, because these girls started being driven around, as you mentioned before, from town to town and like used by Putnam and everyone like, haha, like, don't look at the girls or they'll. I mean, the second the girls could be like you, boom, you're dead. Right. Many of the young girls who had initially accused others of witchcraft faced a you know, basically reputational damage afterwards because it was just like, we're done now. So after the trials concluded, some of them very much expressed remorse for their roles. And they're like, oh, we're fine now. The, you know, the devil went away. Others just, you know, they did acknowledge that they've been kind of caught up in this mass hysteria. Like, I, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. But by then it was really most of the reputations. You couldn't really repair them. Some went on to lead relatively normal lives had married, you know, married, had families, but you know, the witch trials always kind of lingered uh, for others. The traumatic experience very much like made them outcast. So Betty Paris minister Paris that was brought in by the Putnam. She's the first one. She was nine uh, that started this. One of the initial accusers had a very challenging life after the trials, right? So she struggled uh, with her reputation, just personal demons, financial difficulties. She was shunned by the community. Uh, she wound up like moving away. She died actually relatively young in 1718. Um, Abigail, another primary accuser, winds up leaving Salem Village right after the yeah. trials. There was there was no reason for them to stay there. Yeah, I think would you want to stay there? Yeah, <laughs> no way, right? Mm. Um, but her life, we don't really know. Like, there's not really a lot of documentation. Like she I just said, they just kind of get lost history. Remember, this is this is 1690s. 1600s. Yeah. yeah. Now, Anne Putnam Jr. This is the interesting one because she later expresses remorse for the actions and actually acknowledges the falseness of her accusations, right, and the harm that it caused. Um, her father, Thomas Putnam, was one of the main prominent figures supporting the trials. Therefore, like Anne's actions have been the ones that are the most scrutinized and definitely the biggest subject of historical analysis. Because, you know, as years progressed, they're like, well, they weren't really witches, but they did wind up killing a lot of people. So therefore, you're looking at this social economic class war, basically. And for those historians that look at this as a struggle between two different families and groups of people, those that have and those that don't, and the ones that don't, you know, blaming the ones that do, then Anne Putnam is really the main case study, her and yeah. her father. Yeah. And then Mer- Mercy Lewis was one of the um, girls' accusers. She was a servant in the Putnam household. 
Um, after the trial, she actually went on to marry and have a family, but apparently an awful lot of trauma going after. So even though she had a family, they said she was very disconnected, didn't really want to talk to f- neighbors, friends, blah, 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 blah. And then Elizabeth Hubbard, the last big one, winds up leaving Salem Village, just like Abigail Williams, and never really to be heard from again. When you talk about the Crucible, it's interesting because the Crucible came out in 1953. It was made, yeah, for Joseph McCarthy. You know, it was designed as like a social commentary, essentially, on this. I mean, I think that's pretty much it. It, Even as growing up, though, you always think like the Salem witch trials, like, oh, the witches, the witches. It is important. It is scary, but not for the reasons that you may think. Well, it's scary that it could happen. You know what I mean? Like you said, like... Could something like this happen again? You know, we had a lot of isolationism. We had a lot of people that, you know, were wary about ciders and you just start accusing people of things and enough people follow that thought. Maybe not, it doesn't happen in a legal sense, but mob think and, you know, things can happen. Things can get out of control really fast when people are scared. Yep. Mass so, hysteria, man. That's mass exactly hysteria. what it is. All right. Well, I think that pretty much concludes our episode on the Salem witch trials. Ta-da! So if you guys need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We're always there to answer any of your questions. Uh, please make sure you guys click that like button, that subscribe button. Uh, you know, we are on Twitter or X, as it is known now. Uh, we're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're pretty much everywhere. So if you find us uh, you know, and like us, make sure you click that like button. We do appreciate that. And I guess that's it. And we'll see you guys again next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.